Joy and peace. It's part of what we are thinking about today. And I am certainly joyful because the Lord works in wonderful ways. That in God's providence, He works all things for His good purposes, often in ways we don't see until after the fact. And one such example of this providence of God is that in His infinite wisdom and in His amazing grace, He has brought us to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, on the Sunday before our nation's election day. I, I did not plan this. God did. Good, good job, God. Because what better words can we hear in such an anxious and divisive time than these? Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Do not be anxious about anything. The God of peace will be with you. That sounds like medicine for the anxious Soul, And so let us look to the Word of God so that we can replace any anxiety we struggle with and replace it with joy and peace. So let's turn to Philippians as we have been looking at it over the last few months. Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. We're going to look at chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Let us hear the Word of God. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give thanks that your word speaks to us. We thank you, O God, for guiding us in your word. And we pray, O Lord, that you would please soothe our anxious souls today that you would speak your truth to us through these words, O God. Use me, O Lord, simply as your instrument, as your mouthpiece to proclaim your truth, O God, and give us open hearts and minds that can be guarded with your peace, guarded by your truth to your glory, O God. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we come towards the end of Paul's letter to the Philippians, he he stops kind of making his longer arguments and just kind of hits a few things, almost like in the book of Proverbs, where you hit some things and they're loosely connected. You can see how they flow, but there isn't this lengthy connection between all of them. They are exhortations to wisdom. And so we're going to take them today as four doses of wise counsel 
to soothe our anxious souls. Four medicinal doses to help us as we struggle with any anxiety and we look to God for joy and peace. Well, the first dose of wise counsel to soothe our anxious souls is found in verse 4. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, these words can sound very much like a description of what Paul is doing. As in, I, Paul, am rejoicing in the Lord. They can also sound like an invitation. Would you please rejoice in the Lord with me? But that's not at all what verse 4 says. Verse 4 is a command. Paul commands us to rejoice in the Lord always. Think of it like the jumbotron at a sporting event. On the big screen, you read the words, Make some noise! Those words are not saying, Some people are making some noise. Those words are not saying, Would you please make some noise in honor of the home team? No, they are urging and insisting that you make some noise. Similarly, Paul exhorts the Philippians and all believers to rejoice in the Lord always. It is not an option. It is a command in the Word of God. But isn't that like a little insensitive? How can people going through such terrible circumstances be commanded to rejoice? Paul can seem like he's telling people simply to put on a happy face, even if you're not happy. But the key to Paul's command is the phrase, in the Lord, that we are to rejoice in the Lord always. More often than rejoicing in the Lord, we tend to rejoice in our circumstances when they are going well. We rejoice when the Steelers win, as they do all the time, which is wonderful. We rejoice when the doctors give us good test results. We rejoice when our daughter gets good grades in school. We rejoice when our preferred political candidates are elected into office. We rejoice when we can find a can of pumpkin at the store that is so elusive. But... That joy in our circumstances fades when our circumstances don't go the way we want them to. What happens when the Steelers lose? When the doctors give us bad test results? When our daughter's report card reveals bad grades? When our preferred candidate loses the election? When we can't find any pumpkin at the store? Where will our joy come from? See, the fear of losing our joy because of our changing circumstances can make us anxious. And we worry that we will lose the thing that brings us joy. And that is why Paul commands us to rejoice in the Lord. Because we can't lose that joy. This joy is not based on our circumstances, but on our relationship to Jesus Christ. And that relationship with Jesus does not change based on circumstances, for God is faithful and true. His promises are sure. We will not lose Christ. And so we rejoice in the Lord no matter our circumstances, knowing God promises to be with His people. We rejoice in the Lord even when we sin, knowing the Lord forgives our sins. 
We rejoice in the Lord when we are sick or threatened with death, knowing that Jesus gives us eternal life. We rejoice in the Lord even when we suffer for our faith, knowing that that suffering helps us to more resemble our Savior. We rejoice because not only do we know the Lord, but He knows us. And so in both good and bad circumstances, let us set our hearts and minds on our unshakable relationship with Jesus so that we can rejoice in Him always. The second dose of wise counsel to soothe our anxious souls is found in verse 5. After being told to rejoice in the Lord always, Paul writes, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. What does Paul mean by reasonableness? Well, that word is a very unusual word for Paul, and it it speaks to a kind of gentleness towards others that is often expressed in level-headedness. You may have noticed that this attitude is absent from much of the world today. As each new day brings a new crisis that we are told is now the most important thing that has ever happened in the history of mankind. And this kind of repeated reactionary freakout is enough to give you whiplash as you're tossed between elation when it's good or anxiety when it is bad. And as we are absorbed in a 24-hour news cycle, our mood can fluctuate based on what we are told is either good or bad in the world. But Paul says to us to be level-headed, to let your reasonableness be known to everyone, to be able to take both good news and bad news in stride. We should be able to take good conversations and bad conversations in stride. And we remain level-headed because our joy is in the Lord who reigns over all, no matter what it may seem is true in the world around us. And the Lord who reigns over all is at hand or near. That's what the Bible says. Now that seems to mean two things at the same time, that the Lord is at hand. First, it's a sense that God is with us near right now, that the Holy Spirit is with all believers, fulfilling Jesus' promise that I will be with you always. But the Lord is at hand means something else as well. A second thing, it means the return of Jesus is happening soon. That Jesus is coming soon to judge the world and usher in the fullness of his eternal kingdom. And knowing the Lord is at hand in those two ways helps us to be reasonable towards others. So when we speak to others, whoever they are, we are called to speak to them gently, knowing the Holy Spirit is with us to reflect the character of Jesus. And even if we are trying to share the gospel with them and help them to believe in Jesus, we do not do so anxious that this is the most important conversation we are ever going to have. And if I mess it up, this person is damned to hell. We are not anxious because the Lord is near and the Holy Spirit is with us, using us and our words to perhaps save the person we are speaking to. But we are not anxious, thinking it is only up to us, for it is the Spirit who moves where and when He wills through the Word of God. And so we can speak gently, instead of with great anxiety and fear and being unlevel in our head in each conversation. 
But when others speak to us and we are attacked, ridiculed, and persecuted for our faith, we are also called to maintain our gentleness that the Lord will come and judge and vindicate us. We can be gentle and reasonable instead of anxiously trying to prove ourselves right because bringing the kingdom of God to earth is not up to us alone. It is not our job to make this the kingdom of Jesus. It is our God to seek the kingdom that Jesus is bringing through his spirit and yes, through his church. But the Lord is at hand and Christ is coming soon to bring the fullness of his kingdom. So it is not up to us to bring this kingdom now, right now, but to seek it as best we can, trusting the Lord is with us and is coming again to bring the fullness of the kingdom. In this anxious age, we are constantly tempted to relate to each other with frantic worry over what is going wrong and how we have to make things right, right now. But God commands us not to worry that he is at hand. He is near and He knows what is going on and He is coming again soon. And that keeps us steady when so much seems uncertain. And it equips us to be gentle with the heart of Jesus as we relate to others. As we continue through the passage, we get our third dose of wise counsel to soothe our anxious souls. And it's found in verses 6 and 7. And here we see the past, part of the passage that deals most directly with anxiety. Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul's word of counsel to those who are feeling anxious is to pray. Now, why is that? Well, anxiety is fundamentally a failure to trust in God. At least the kind of anxiety the Bible is talking about. And prayer is one of the most basic expressions of trust in God. One commentator writes that anxiety is symptomatic of our misplaced trust. And so really, prayer is just putting trust back in its proper place. Because when we are anxious, we reveal that our trust is in the thing that we are anxious that we may lose. Whether we are worried we're going to lose our basic needs, our reputation, our way of life, our influence over others. But through prayer, we recognize and remember that God provides for us as his children. We trust that he will not let us lose that which is most important in life. This is what our New Testament reading from Matthew 6 was about, as Jesus explained the foolishness of worry. And he pointed to the natural world. He looked around, he said, if God cares for the birds and the flowers, will he not much more care for you? Being anxious means worrying that you're going to lose something that you feel you need. But belief in God's fatherly care should uproot that anxiety. How could our Father withhold from us what we need? He will provide for us, even if He provides for us in death with the hope of eternal life in our risen Savior. And so Paul commands us not to be anxious about anything, 
We, we could spend all day just going through a list of, well, what about this, Paul? Nope, not allowed to be anxious about that. Okay, but what about this? No, nope, I said anything. And just go through the whole list. He tells us instead, go to the Lord in prayer with thanksgiving and supplication. Supplication is a real fancy word for making requests. And so Paul says, take the fears that you are worried about, the things you feel you need, and bring them to your Father in heaven who can provide for you. Because when you worry about them, what you are doing is self-prayer. Instead of praying to God, you are saying over and over to yourself, what if I lose? What if I lose this? What if I don't have it? What if I don't have it? What if I don't have it? And it is internal prayer that comes in on itself and collapses. But prayer to the Lord is handing those things to someone powerful enough, merciful enough, and wise enough to know what we truly need and provide it for us. And our prayers should be made with thanksgiving. For as we pray, we remind ourselves of all that God has done for us. That in all the ways we were tempted to be anxious in the past and God came through, helps us to see that even in this circumstance, He will come through again. As we give thanks for God's past gifts, we are encouraged to pray for the things because we know He does care for us and does provide for us. And this kind of trust that develops in prayer, Paul says, gives a peace that surpasses all worldly understanding. A peace that stills our anxious hearts as we remember that God is truly in control. Our family members, our neighbors may seem shaken to the core about what may happen with the virus or the election or whatever else is going on. But we do not have to be anxious for we know and are told in the word of God that he is in control. Now, that doesn't mean we know exactly how God is going to work everything out. Things may not be great. But we trust in God's promise in His Word that all things will work together for the good of those who love Him. And that gives us a peace as we pray and trust in Him. The fourth and final dose that we are given in these verses of wise counsel to soothe our anxious souls is in verses 8-9. through nine. See, one of the side effects of anxiety is you begin to be crippled by fear and inaction. You are so worried that we don't know what to do except to keep worrying. And so Paul instructs the believers how to escape this inaction by doing good. He writes, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Okay, it's a really cool list, Paul. That's very nice. What are you getting at, Paul? Well, there's kind of two clues that point us in the direction that Paul wants us to discern what is good in the world around us. When Paul says think, he is using a different word for think than we've seen elsewhere in Philippians. We've talked a lot about have this mindset or worldview. That's not the word for think he is using. The word for think here is consider or evaluate or ponder to reflect on these things. 
So with that word, Paul wants us to consider, but what are, what are we considering? Well, his use of the word whatever again and again makes us think it's things in the world. Because if Paul was thinking strictly of godly things, he would say, hey, guys, think about what is good, pure, honorable, and so forth. Because everything in God is good, pure, honorable. But whatever, it's almost like he's saying, look at this big swath and pick out whatever in it is good. Evaluate it. Consider it. What is good? See, the city of Philippi was part of the Roman Empire. And in the Greek and Roman empires, they had philosophers who really championed virtues. They had values that were virtuous. And many of those were good. They even overlapped some with the Bible. That the world, while being evil in so many ways, does get some stuff right. And so we can see in the world around us some stuff that is good. For our days, we may not look to Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. We may look instead to like the Boy Scouts of America and some of the things they teach the boys. We may look to the, the virtues of our nation of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we can consider and ponder what is wise according to the Word of God in those things. And Paul says, that's what I want you thinking about. Because those worldly standards need to be considered. They are not all good. We need to discern what fits with Scripture. And so Paul follows up verse 8 by saying, what you have learned, received, heard, and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. When it comes to the world, we need to use discernment. But when it comes to the Word, Paul just jumps right in to practice these things. You can trust what's in the Word. You can trust what's in the apostles. You can trust what's in the church. As long as it's according to the Word of God. Now, how does this soothe our anxious souls as we ponder and practice these things? Well, we may not be able to fix everything that's wrong in the world. And as the world has globalized and news is spread far and wide by the second around the world, we see so much of what is wrong. And we can feel overwhelmed and collapse into inaction, not knowing what to do. But Paul says that we can reflect on what is good and do what is good in small and simple ways. After telling us not to be anxious in the New Testament reading, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That we can seek what is good in the world. That anxiety should not leave us inactive, but should move us then to action in small and simple ways that we can help. And so it's as if Paul is saying, look to the examples in Scripture, to the examples of church history, and do good where you can and advance His kingdom above any kingdom of this earth. For the God of peace is with us as we strive to live as peacemakers in a world that is divided and anxious. And we can ponder the good things that we can do and then put them into practice in accordance with the Bible. And we do all for the glory of our God of peace who grants us a peace in all things that surpasses understanding. See, with the, with the election coming up in two days, anxiety is going to increase. And if we think that things are going to be better after the election, I, I think we're going to be sorely mistaken. 
The answer to our anxious age is not electing one person or another. The medicine to soothe our anxious souls is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of peace. Because we cannot muster up joy or peace in our own strength, either individually or as a group. We cannot simply put on a happy face. Joy and peace come through Christ our Lord who reigns over all and is with us by the Spirit and who is coming again with the fullness of His kingdom that is a kingdom of peace and justice for all His people. So let us long for that day and pray, come soon, King Jesus. Amen. Oh Lord, we thank You that You soothe our souls that You help try to cure our anxiety that so cripples us in so many ways. We pray that we would live differently, O God, as not those who are easily shaken by the winds of the world that are changing, but we pray that You would help us to be standing on a solid foundation of Your Word, the solid foundation of our hope, who is Christ, and how He has saved us and has filled us with Your Spirit, O God. And so we pray that you would help us to be filled with your joy and your peace, that we would rejoice always, and that we would be peacemakers doing good and seeking your kingdom in this world wherever you have placed us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.